Welcome to another episode of What's New in Wagyu. It's again Stephen and Lane for the day. Lane, how's your day been? The day has been challenging. Day has been challenging. Sometimes the butcher shop's a little rough. But uh, we're going to start off this episode again, and, and like we've been trying to do, we're going to go straight to the market. So the market for today, June 8th, um, it's been a fairly steady market. Uh, a lot of people have been saying, hey, you know what? We're finally making enough money selling cattle that um, it's worth staying in the business. Even the commercial guys are starting to say that. And, and it's really nice to see that we have a healthy calf price right now. 500 pounders are going for about $2.80 to $2.90 based on on Montana average because we're in Idaho. So we try to steal Montana average. I hear out in Nebraska, it's pretty similar. And down south, you're closer to $3. I have seen some wild ones go. You know, Two weeks ago, they had some for like three eighty dollars or something like that go down New Mexico. But that's a little bit different kind of market down there. I think that sometimes they, with the amount of drought they're having and a few things like that, they're really, the processors and the feeders are really in need of a lot of cattle. So, you know, corn, soybean, all of that. <clears throat> the futures have held pretty steady. It says it's down about, oh, like 17 cents, but not, nothing super critical. I think everything's kind of stabilized itself. Well, with the price of inputs, it's going to have to. Um, you know, in most of the country, it's either a drought or a flood. There's nowhere in between right now. It's kind of a weird time for the ag industry. So, you know, uh, me and Lane were talking the other day or today, actually, and, and somebody, something came to mind. Somebody asked us one asked me one time how we set our F1 price. And the reality of, of our F1 prices is we, we have F1s not out of want, but out of necessity. When cows don't take embryos, we have to breed them. Mm -hmm. cow has to have a calf so we have to set that f1 standard somewhere so what i tell a lot of people is our price per pound on regular cattle it's pretty simple we went once a year we'll just run over to whatever the choice cutout is and that's what it is now with f1s we usually add a little bit to it um i think lane said he's at 425 right now lie of hanging weight on F1s, and and that's pretty fair. Really. And that's including the processing, right? R right, right. But that's that's a pretty fair price for an F1. I like to stay at that $10 a pound hanging weight for Wagyu for full bloods because the amount of time and effort that takes through it. I, I figured if it takes me three times longer to grow them, I need to be paid three times more. And if I take that model right now, I'm not actually making three times more. I'm only making 2.85, so... Based on a few things, that's what we need to really watch is that cutout price. And maybe we, we're going to have to adjust with feed costs, um, our price per pound next year. I, I don't know. I only like setting price once a year. I don't like dicking around with it over and over again. It's kind of like the butcher shop. Um, Lane, explain how we do pricing at the butcher shop and when we do price changes. Well, we have to take into account the raise of cost of materials, uh, Backing back, those kind of things. Uh, Bonus uh, and raises we give our employees to. Raises and all those things. And then we f figure that together. And then we plan also that there's going to be some inflation coming on from the next year. And we try and capture as much of that anticipated inflation or price raise as we can. And we set our pricing once a year in January. And we'll go through to the end of the year and we'll start looking at it again in September. Uh, well, we really we're looking at it right now, but so that we know what we're going to do, but we try and adjust for the cost of goods and cost of labor and anything else that we've well, and, come and, to. And then we, we make the necessary adjustments. And I'll tell you right now, we, we have, fairly skilled labor so we pay them very well and because of that we're a little bit higher than everyone else around us not a ton higher i think everybody's starting to catch up with us mm -hmm. for a while there i think we were 20 or 30 cents more than everyone else in the valley and now i think that everybody's had to pay their people better mm -hmm. um so they're now kind of creeping in on us and we'll have a price evaluation i don't know if we can really go a ton higher and not have a bunch of pushback but i think there is some room for for advancement and you have to we have to make a 
prophet just like anybody else. And, you know, it's not like we're, well, I'm doing it for fun, but, right. but it, well, there's and, the business side of it that we have to be accountable to the business. Well, and the other part is too, is everybody's got to remember this. I, I've, I run so many businesses that in order for me to feel okay even having the business, we have to be profitable. And we need to experience continued growth. Right. Well, and, and this is a lot of things a lot of you guys probably don't know or haven't experienced is, is if you're not growing, you're going to fail. Even in the cattle industry, if this is what you want to do to make some money, you have to be doing a little better each year or it doesn't work. And once in a while, there's going to be a setback, right, Steve? But the trend needs to be going forward. Um, and not too fast either. Like I tell Lane, I, I want to see between a 15 and 20% increase. I don't want to see anything over 50 or over 20. And I don't want to see under under five. And we're probably this year, we're going to the closer to the bottom number than the top. Number. Yeah, I, I think, you know, and I don't know. I was looking at some trends from last year and a few things like that. We're probably 3% more than next year. Not not as like a total, but for the last three months. But early in the year, we had a lot more business and a lot more things going on. And it's like that here because once everybody gets their cows out on the, on the range, they don't have, we don't have the extras. You know, people calling us because we have a broke leg cow or they have an issue or right now the stuff we're getting is like they've had issues. They've been trying to figure out what to do with them. And rather than processing them four months ago when they should have, they're now finally getting to us. Yeah. And the thing is, is they have cheap grazing right now. And so <laughs> why bring your animals in underweight when you got some months ahead with good grass and, uh, and put some weight on those animals. Well, and, and another thing, you know, I bet you our year over end will probably be at five to ten percent increase. Just, just the way it is. Um, that's a good sustainable growth. I, I like the ten mark. The ten mark is kind of my favorite because you can sustain that into the next year. The problem when you get in big growth spurts is that you usually, if not the next year, but the following year, you will see a decline. Because you can't manage it because you haven't prepared for it because you don't know what to prepare for most of the time. And with the butcher shop industry, I've noticed that very few people who own butcher shops are business guys. That's true. <clears throat> most of them have worked as a butcher and been a butcher and got their own shop. So they may be very good at the work side of things, but they definitely neglect the side of things that that's not not as important every day, but is important for the overall health of the business. And that's the financial stability of it. The other thing I notice a lot with butcher shops lane, and I guess that I, I don't understand it, but I'm learning to figure it out is how many of these people, when they own these butcher shops, um, they don't take into account the cost of them being there. Oh yeah. They, and a lot of small businesses. It's not just butcher shops, too. Mom and pa businesses or sole proprietor businesses. They, uh, they, like my wife, right? She owns her fabric store, her uh, quilting store. And she has a hard time counting her hours there as valuable. Right. And, uh, and, and, uh, so sometimes she puts herself in a position where um, tax-wise or those other things we could do probably a little bit better. But because that value isn't realized, um, we don't get a full benefit of that, correct? Right, and, and that's with a lot of things. I, I know a lot of people that, that don't do that or don't at least account for it. The problem comes in... Um, so in the butcher shop game, you have so many expenses that no one thinks about. You know, when we order boxes, it's five, $6,000 at a time. They bring them in on pallets, big pallets. What do you mean? Most <laughs> our competitors don't even buy boxes, right? Right, right. And I didn't know that. So one day, um, <laughs> this lady came into the shop, and, and I'm not there very often. Like, I'm there a couple times a month, really there for about an hour. Like, I stop in and check on Lane a couple times a week, or I call him when I'm going by. But, like, the reality is, unless we have Wagyu getting cut, I'm probably not going to be there. 
And when I am there for the Wagyu, I'm there to look at him and go home. And when he comes other times, he's there to hassle the help and go home. Right, right. Stir everybody up and get, get gone. But uh, this lady goes, hey, do I need to bring my own boxes? And I go, what do you mean? She goes, oh, we bought, we, we went somewhere else and they, they make you bring your own boxes and coolers. Very typical and I look, here. And I looked at Lane and I go, well, how does that work? How do they keep their stuff even in, in place? And how, uh, come on, <laughs> buy a damn box open your trunk and we'll pour them in well and that's what she said yeah. that they just dumped them in her trunk last time and i'm sitting there just my brain is spinning at this point because that is not how you treat your customers but they do it and they get away with it and that's why she's at our shop is because we give people boxes and we make sure their stuff's labeled and things like that and and it's important for the financial feasibility of the shop same goes with the cows these cows have to make money we don't do this for the, well, I do it for the fun of it. But again, because of who I am, we make sure these cows make profit. Whether that's through embryo sales, whether that's through steers that are being fed out and processed and sold, whether that's live calf sales, each mom has to make her own way except for Delilah. The D4 cow, by the end of the year, will have over 25 offspring. By the end of next year, she'll have over 50 by the end of the, in two years, at the rate we're putting embryos in, she will have more offspring than almost any red wagyu in the breed. And that's impressive. And that's because she gives us 30 to 40 embryos a flush. There's another concept there too, Steve, is getting your, getting your bang for the buck, right? Right. And so, you know, people come and there'll be a new customer and, and, we're a little more expensive than the other guys and stuff. And, and I explained some of the things that we do. And I explained to them, you know, we may be more expensive per pound. But for value for your dollar, for all we do and how we cut, you're definitely getting the best value for the dollar that you can spend right here. Well, and, and I totally believe that. And the other thing, too, you've got to remember, guys, unlike a lot of your butchers, even even the big commercial butcher plants, unless you're getting your animals going through their, what do they call that lane? Their, where the, all, the, well, all the restaurant folks use. What well, do they call that? Hotel, restaurant, institutional cutting. Yes. Portion control. Portion control now. Unless your animals are going through portion control, you're not getting even cuts. Your cuts are close, but they're not, they're not what I would deem as a pretty cut at the end. And if you're going to a custom plant, I hope you go to a good one because... Custom plants are very notorious for very rough cut beef. And I'll tell you right now, me and Lane haven't been in one yet. And we've been in a lot of them in multiple states. We have not seen one yet that, that holds a standard of portion control cutting. All of our animals, every single one that gets cut every day is held to that standard. And, and it's because we like to show people, because we use a, vac a vacuum-sealed bag, they can see what they're getting back, so we want it to look good. Packaging is key. And, and Lane, and Lane I, I feel bad for him because he has to make sure that that's all done correctly, and sometimes it's tough. Like Sometimes the help get tired at the end of the day or whatever goes on, and he has to go back and address it. We had that conversation just a couple times this week is yep. no matter how good your crew seems to be getting it, you have to check on them every day. And, and you have or, to check on everything, right? You have to check on the cleaning. You have to check on the packaging. You have to check on the boxing. Yeah. All of it. And, and if you don't and they feel some kind of uh, less stringent. Cl complacency. Um, it's a complacency issue. Less stringent follow through well they have less consistent work and it's and that's hard for me because some of our guys are making almost 20 bucks yeah. at the end of the day our head cutter he's probably making close to 20 dollars an hour right now mm -hmm. and 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 his job is to cut beef and make it look pretty and he gets paid whether he works or not that's right he's on salary so he gets paid whether he works or not and i'll tell you right now we very rarely work an eight hour day and right now now, that's all going to end in a month, but this time of year is always slower, right? So we expect more out of them because they need to have a more consistent product. I would hate to know if you did hour for hour what he's getting paid right now. 
Like if we actually broke it out, I bet you it's closer to 30 for the hours you guys have been yeah. working. But by the end of elk season, he'll be back down to that yeah, joining, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but here's the big deal, right? And I'll tell you right now, he's worth the money we're paying him because his output's very good. Even though we have less animals right now, he's making our he's making payroll. So I can't complain too much about that as long as we're making payroll every every two weeks. And we have a buffer in our account. We we try to keep twenty thirty thousand dollars in that account just for a buffer in case we have a weird week or we have to do something or fix something or break something. It just it's there. That's what it's for. Yeah, we just got done maintaining the kill unit. Right. Just uh, five thousand dollars later. Yeah. You know and that's just maintenance and. But and you have to do it or every year. Think what it would happen, how much it would cost us if we didn't. Oh, yeah, it'd be terrible. So I'm a terrible maintenance person. I have a very, very, very strict maintenance policy. He's a really good maintenance person, but he makes it really hard on the people that you have to maintain the the equipment right. correctly. He's he's and I understand why he does. Because they abuse it. So Enough. badly. If we did, if we didn't maintain it, we we wouldn't have it. Exactly. And and guys, that that all calls into 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 costs, right? The cost of the butcher shop. So the hard thing we have is we have not only the cost of the butcher shop, we have the cost of the cows, we have the cost of feed, we have the cost of everything else that goes into it. This isn't just oh, we have this butcher shop and that's all we're worried about. So we've got to make sure that you're profitable across your whole business, and that's hard. Now it becomes a lot easier when you have a cow that produces embryos and quality embryos until she's 15 years and eight months. And then when she stops and she has had over 80 calves in her lifetime and, and they've all been very good and seven, six, seven T has been a great cow and a great model for, for Wagyu, I think from the female side, maternal side as she's a San Giro daughter. And, um, she's done her part because she produces big, beautiful, calves that marble well and we had the opportunity um when she stopped producing embryos and i'm gonna i'm gonna clarify this she hasn't been on grain she has been on uh silage and hay a, da- ration, a dairy ration right right without the grain though correct it, it was a, it's their dry lot ration with no grain um she was on grass before that so you're, you're talking about a cow that has had very little grain in her life, and we ended up with great results on the kill for, for a cow that, of her age. We did. We did. Um, I, I, I wouldn't complain about it. It's, it's over prime. It's probably a BMS 7. I bet you if we would have actually fed her, it would have been higher. Yeah. But I wanted to see her in her most natural setting. What, what is she producing, and why have we had such good results with, with her offspring? And that's uh, that's been a win-win all the way through, right. right? And she's had some pretty notable offspring, you know. She's she's in the Genesis pedigree. She's in Rocky's pedigree. Uh, you know, she's in Yama's pedigree. She like all these constructive bulls that well, and she's an LMR cow from early LMR. Like Lone Mountain Ranch is is er, she's she was there early on. She's fifteen years, you know, six months. Uh, we're very lucky to even have the opportunity to, to have her and, and be able to make some embryos, really. I know that the embryos have been going for around three to 5,000, the ones that are out still and available. And live calves are usually 20 grand. And for a black Wagyu, that's, that's a phenomenal price. It is. And the cool part is that she's got not only numbers here, but in Australia. And if you're a numbers person, you can look at her numbers. I, I don't look at that nonsense because I think that it has a long way to go. And later on in the show, we're going to talk about that. But, you know, for the cow, and she was always an easy keeper. That was the other nice thing about her. She took care of her calves that she did have live. And, and she, just, she just was a pleasant animal to be around. And I was concerned when she went to Lane's because she's, she spent a fair amount of her life in the collection facility. And what was the one thing I was asking you if we had problems with? Tenderness? I was worried about tenderness, but I was more worried about injection site issues. Oh. Yeah. And she didn't have any. None. For the amount of medication she had over her lifetime, I am impressed. 
that we didn't have any weird spots or cartilaginian spots or you know scar tissue spots or any of that stuff you know so so that's a that's definitely big for her you know we don't talk a lot about black wagyu we have some um i i'm very strict on the breeding protocol with them because i got them from eldon um i got i got my mentor's cows so i i breed them how he would right wrong or indifferent we have them I tend to sell them to commercial guys to go up on the mountains. That's where all the cal- our black calves went this year, mostly. Uh, we do have a fair amount of them that go and get bred by red bulls, and we do red black cows, and those are great. Them have been phenomenal for our for our meat program. Um, you know, Lane killed actually two steers right after the cow. Yeah, let's so let's the cow for all intents and purposes, her life, her production, everything, and even down to. When we finally got her into the shop, well, it was a win, right? Right. And, and here's the thing, guys. Um, people can't. A lot of people can't afford Wagyu. I'm going to be the first person to tell you this. I'm also going to be the tell you the first person that I, it's not. I have a hard time having a crew that works on them every day that doesn't get to have some. I feel like that is wrong, and a travesty. So we just gave them all the hamburger that we made, plus some roast and some yeah. of the. Minor steaks, right? Right, and our guys don't eat steaks really. Like it's weird no, no, to me. Most yeah. of them don't have much teeth. That's true, right? Like, like they've they've lived, you know, lives, and they're 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 at that point where they've had some teeth pulled out, or Tiny doesn't have any teeth, I don't think. Um, but they're at that point, right, where hamburger to them is gold, and the fact that they get Wagyu hamburger, that is that is so it makes their life so happy, and they can take pride that they got to cut it and do the things they wanted to do. So she was a win, 100% win all the way around. Yep. We've got uh we've got a success and a failure story coming up right now. Right, correct? right, right. And and it's not I don't know if it's a failure. It's it's it, not what we expected. It's an unexpected event. It's still better than half the stuff I'm seeing online right now. Yeah, it is. You know, so so then we have a, a we knocked down number 10. And he goes to my house, and, and I have a very, I've got a rule. If you're, if you're raising them, you have to eat them. And I, well, I wanted the best one in the pen. That's just the way it was. So he went to our house. Number 10 was phenomenal. He, he was as close to 11 as we've ever had, if, right. Not, if not right on 11, Steve. Right, and, and, and he, you know, jet white, beautiful fat covering, Everything worked from genetics to feed. The only thing is his fat temperature was a little higher than we wanted it to melt. Which is wild, right? Because of how tender he is. Yeah. And that's, you know, so, and that's, that's something I wonder if, if a little age has to do with that. Cause we ran him a little long. He's 40 months. Um, that, that could be it. I think he was 913 days on feed by the time he got killed. Now, number nine. He's a good beef. He was a good Wagyu, right? Like, I'm not going to complain. The people that are going to get him aren't going to complain. He was a little, it was a little, but it was weird. He had a lot of fines in his marbling. Right. He's just as heavy of fines as we've ever had. Right. But he didn't have hardly any heavies. The, The coarse saturation wasn't there at all. Yeah. And, and you so have it looked to have weird. some of it. And, and it, that's the truth. It, it, it looked weird, didn't it? It, it looked like spider webs. And I, I, that's what I, the only thing I can come up with is it reminds me of spider webs. Now, I'm going to get a lot of people that put comments, well, that isn't that what it's supposed to look like. So here's the deal. You're 80% correct in that, in that assumption. But you do need a very marginal amount of, of course in there to balance out the fines. It's a balancing act. It's not, oh, I want only fines or only court. It's a balancing act between the two. And the thing that I had the biggest problem with was, is that when you look at it, if it's cold and packed, it doesn't look good. Like it doesn't look the same as number 10. The minute you pull it out and let you get some air to it, you see all the fines, they come out, they look, they look phenomenal. It's cool. Like it is a cool animal. But I wouldn't want 20 more of them. 
if that makes sense, because it's hard to sell in the package when it doesn't look as good in the package as it does out. The key is, is it should always look good in the package and look even better out of it. Well, the problem we have here is without the courses, it doesn't look near as pretty in the package. And that's it. It's just eye appeal. It's eye appeal. And eye appeal sells, guys, especially if you're selling a product that's frozen or cooled, right? Because unless you're selling to the chef who's going to break it, he understands this. But your day-to-day person is not going to gather that there. This there's nothing wrong with this. This is how it should be. So you know that's I don't I I have I have a hard time with it. Um, it's fine. It's not going to hurt anything. They're both they're both going to sell. It's not a big deal. So so it's a win, but it's I'm not as happy with okay, it. Okay, so so but I know the problem. The ge- but the the gen- genetics I, behind both the dam and the bull, right? Yep. So would you put the same thing together no. again and try again? Never again. So um, in that is, in this, that essence, and, it's a fail, and correct? This, and this is the problem. This is the th- the second one we've had that's kind of had the same situation from this breeding. I will no longer be breeding this breeding together. And the sad part is, is a lot of people are breeding it together right now because they think it's going to be great. And I, if you're going to sell seed stock, uh, whatever. But if you're going to have to kill one of these, you're gonna. It's going to be a weird experience for you. And and it, and they're pretty predominant bulls. Um, I mixed some San, a San, my, my Sanjiro cow and I had a line bred Sanjiro cow. So she's Sanjiro top and bottom and there's seven, six, seven T on her full brothers mating. Um, and then the bull we brought across was sugar, Shugatani. and everybody knows all oh, that's the big names in, in marbling and wagyu. And I go, yes, it is. And I will never do it again. Now, if maybe I had less Sanjiro and maybe a little Michifuku in there, the thing is, is the same sire, the sire is the same on both those animals. The difference is, is the dam side. So what we're saying is, of course, we're going to use those genetics again. Right. And we're confident in those genetics. We're just not confident in the combination we just got. Correct. And here's the other thing. You can take that same combination of genetics and have 130 different outcomes, right? Correct. But but we now have had two cows or two steers that have a similar outcome. So I know that I'm not doing it correctly, so we need to move on. And I don't know how you guys out there that don't have these animals being killed or don't have the animals, you're not feeding the animals, or not or not taking a few animals to the end, how you guys are, are verifying your animals are any good. Because I'll tell you right now, if you would sell that to a commercial cow guy, and he got a, he, and that genetic pulled through, he's not going to be very happy. You know, and, and I know this because I deal with enough of them. Especially when they're paying a premium to get, get the calves them, back, correct? Right, and that's a whole nother ball game. You know, we had a we had a uh, an interesting. I had an interesting combination conversation with one of our clients. Uh, they were new to us. They'd come down. They actually searched me out and started talking to me about some stuff. And I think I'm going to have them next time I'm up there or they're down here come on the podcast and kind of explain some of the issues they're having, but. Just a synopsis of it. They've bought bulls down from Texas, Red Bulls, um, from the big breeder. We'll just put it that way. And they're not performing on these F1s like they're supposed to. And they've given a lot of people premiums, but they're not getting the premium at the slaughterhouse. And they have their own sale mechanism. So they're putting them in the lot, feeding them out, paying for that to happen. Then, they're, then they have their own sell mechanism, somebody out there selling all this F1 meat, and they're not able to get what they want out of it to make it profitable enough for them. So, so they came to us to try to help fix that. And I think they've got a pretty good start to fixing that from what we sold them. Because we do, like I said, F1s are not our, our business, but they're they're part of the aftermath of embryo production. They're part of that aftermath of us implanting 100 embryos tomorrow. Yeah. 
right? Or on Saturday. So we're putting Saturday. in a hundred and some odd embryos on Saturday. That's, that's what I try to explain to people. Each of these cows, they get one embryo put in, then we put them with the bulls so many days later. And we do that because those, if she drops an embryo once, she's probably gonna drop another one. So don't keep throwing good money after bad. But the biggest, the biggest thing is we know that what we've been breeding works. <laughs> and we know it works because we've been killing the outcome. And we don't say a lot about our F1s. <laughs> and we don't put a lot of our f We won't ever put F1 pictures up. Um, we are one of the few people that actually have a F1 label through the USDA. Not done through a butcher shop, but actually a branded label. Not many of not many of pe- not many people out there are are doing that, and and to me that's the travesty of it. Um, is there's a lot of people that are not getting the full aspect of what they're supposed to be getting because they have no data, and there's no EPDs out there that are worth a damn. I don't care what anybody says. I don't trust the Australians because their accuracies are so low, and I definitely wouldn't trust the American Wagyu Association right now. Hell, their their data dump. I was looking at it yesterday because somebody had asked if I'd seen it, and I noticed that it was done on less than a thousand animals, and I don't. So so here's the deal. So Lane's kid is a math genius. Like the dudes in Phoenix at the Laser Institute, uh, you know, physics kid, the kid knows his math, right? If I was to send this to him and go, hey, what's the problem here? Do you know what he'd tell me, Lane? Not enough data to get good. There's not enough data to even start. Not even, not even to get good results, but to even, even start. start. Exactly. And then on top, See, it's, he'd tell you it's insignificant, Steve. Correct. He, and that's the exact words he'd use. The data is insignificant due to the data set that was collected. And that's the reality. The reality is the data sets that they're currently using are so insignificant that it cannot produce a quality outcome. I would say that after all these years, the American Wagyu Association should have joined up with the American, uh, the Australian Wagyu Association, shared their information, and maybe between the two of them, they could have enough data to start. Does that, does that make yeah. sense? To start. Yeah. And then they're not defining that data into multiple lots. They're going, oh, all the F1, all the full blood, all that. We're going to mix it together and make some data. That's not how you do it. No. You need an F1 quotient. You need a, a full blood quotient. You need a percentage quotient. And that's how you gather appropriate data. And out of a thousand, under a thousand samples, I, I don't how know, can you do that? I, I don't know how you can even claim that that's decent data. Because, Lane, me and you both know this. Out of that thousand, let's just say a thousand, because it was like nine hundred and something. Out of that that initial group, I'm going to tell you right now for a fact, using the bell curve event, we have ten percent that's good data, ten percent that's over overstated data, and the rest is in the middle. So now we got to take another 20, 20 cents, you know, twenty percent off that, you know, and that's the problem right there. I do not understand how people can can use this data to make breeding decisions. What you're doing is is you're using this data to fleece your customers, especially the new breeders that are coming from the Angus Association. That's what I feel like. Well, because they're used to that type of data because they have such a huge database. Well, and, and even that's not not a quality database in itself, right? But it's better than what. Well, it's been, anybody else has right now, right? Well, the, here in it, the United States. Well, no, no. If you want to talk about true data, go talk about the Holstein boys. Okay. They have a genomic test that can tell you the predictor of that animal, and it is a accurate predictor of that animal. But you're talking about an industry that that has. I would hate to know how much data they've got, Lane. You, yeah. You're talking uh, multiples of millions of data points. I'm sure. Well, think about how many dairy cows are, are done every day. But I'm talking about the beef, beef breeds, right? Well, I'm talking about that too because or, they they do a beef quotient in the Holstein breed. Do they? They do. Um, they do. Well, the Angus has tried to do. Uh, what did they call it? 
when I was reading about it not too long ago. Dollar beef on dairy is what they call it. And how much money you should be able to generate based off what bull you use on a dairy cow. The dairy cows have a similar thing. They don't use it very much because they're they're more worried about production of milk. Right. But but they it's in their EPDs. So you know that's that's pretty big. Uh, not a lot of people understand that, and I think that a lot of people have a problem uh, figuring out what they need to do because there's not an easy way to understand this data and and if you're new new to cattle the argument has always been put out there is the data appropriate for um everyone else that's kind of how it's always been oh it's interesting when this customer um was talking about things that we're doing and things that try to fix his herd and he's said, you know, that's the first thing that Wagyu's association told him. Trust the data. EPDs. You know, and and that's the part that I I struggle with the most is that we have an association that knows that they don't have the greatest thing going on yet. They're working on making it better is what they say. But you can't push someone towards doing something like that right and and i i struggle because now you're tr- you're telling people that that is a good deal and it's not and i think in the long run it's going to hurt people really bad and i don't know i don't know how to justify that i guess I, I don't know. And and Lane, you're new enough to this. How have you what would you tell a new breeder the best way to find something would be? Oh first of all, I'd tell them to find somebody who's successful in the business and see if they could get some mentoring from them. And the second thing I tell them is they have to know their genetics and to breed for the characteristics. And you have to look at the dam first and the bull brings what characteristics he'll bring. But for a new person, you know, in it, they they don't know what a good cow is. They don't know what a good bull is. They don't know the expectations because all their expectation is it's Wagyu, so it has to be good. Um there's a lot of there's a lot of traps for new people in this business. What percentage of wagyu we kill for other people, Lane, is considered good wagyu? Maybe one in twenty-five. So you know, I I tell people all the time that there's good wagyu, there's bad wagyu, and then there's wagyu that are in the middle. And the problem is, is a lot of guys are single trait breeding right now. They're breeding all for marbling, and then they, their cow can't take care of a calf. There's other guys out there breeding the opposite way. But I tell people this all the time. You need to breed an animal that meets the expectation of your customer. And I know a lot of guys right now that are starting to make their own brands that are gone off and they've bought their own shops and they're now going away. They don't have a branded program. They're just, their butcher shop puts a thing on there that says Wagyu. Or we have, you know, the Snake River Farms model lane. Get you black, gold, or platinum. Right? Like, like that's not, that's not okay. Yeah. We label all of our Wagyu what it is. If it's F1, we label it F1. If it's full blood, we label it full blood. If, if we're selling it as that, that's what we label it. If we're going to sell it and not care about it, it goes under premium beef because it's premium, right? It's high quality. We don't play the games. Yeah. And In the fact, that's what we do with our F1s most of the time is, is uh, market them out as uh, premium beef. You know, and that's that's the pro like that's the problem. Is I've tried to figure out how not to replicate problems 
And that's the, that, that to me is sad is there's a lot of people replicating problems and, and it, and it makes me wonder sometimes what the deal is. Right. Yeah. So what's next on our list, Lane? Let's see. We talked about our customer and his problems and the APD, that was the end of it. And then I think we've talked about everything we had. So I want to leave you guys with something. Um, The American Wagyu Association convention comes up in September, I believe, but they attach the world Wagyu competition or world Wagyu convention with it. And there's some interesting things that I would recommend you all take a minute to think about. I'm very disappointed and have been with the AWA for a little while now. Um, they, they're trying to do some stuff that they're reinventing the wheel and it's costing a lot of money to do it. And I, I have some heartburn over it. Right. But the one thing they are doing is they are hosting the world Wagyu conference. And instead of going and spending a little bit of money for three days to go to the AWA conference, spend a little extra money, go spend some time over and at the, at the world Wagyu conference, there's going to be people there from all of the countries and it's a good place to, to market. It's a good place to learn about other breeders and it's a good place to just meet new friends. Conferences like this only come around every five years. Um, I was told that I was expected to be there by a couple of our, our Australians that, that we do a lot of business with because they're coming to town and for us september's hard because the butcher shop is so busy in september you know lane's gonna have to get through you know 600 elk in a period of 16 weeks so for us september is not a time to be gone playing it just it just isn't um I will make some time probably to come down. It probably won't be for the full week, but it'll probably be for a couple days. And we'll probably pull some podcasts together with some people down there. And and that's what we'll do. But I want you to take a minute and think about how rare an opportunity this is for you to be able to go meet people because it hasn't been held in the United States in over 10 years. The last conference was in Australia. I think the one before that was in Britain. Where is it going to be held? San Antonio. Uh, the AWA will be sending out information on it to get your rooms and scheduled in and all that good stuff. Uh, I believe in the next couple of weeks is what they told me when I was on the phone with them the other day. I was talking to Leanne and she said to, to just keep your eye out for it. It's coming. And I, I want you to think about something. Um, you really need to go and talk to people. You need to learn from other people. And for me, I'm getting to the point where we don't buy outside genetics. Like it's really difficult for us to go out and buy a bull because we can't find one that's as good as we can breed it here. And that's, that's a bad place to get into. I will be the first to tell you this. It's taken us a long time to get here, but we're, we're at that point. And without AI and without embryo transfer work, we'd be in trouble right now. We really would. But I'm going to tell you this as the caveat. I, our embryo cows, people will pay $800 to $2,000 for embryos out of these cows. Because they're really good cows, they're really bred cows, and they're profitable. And the other thing is, is they give us high embryo counts. The problem comes in, guys, is not every cow you buy is worth collecting. And Lane has watched me cold plenty of cows and never give them a chance to be in the collection pen because they're not worth it. And if you bought one and, and you want to run out and do embryos, I, I want you to do embryos for yourself and put them in. And if they work out really well, then sell them. But don't sell them to another new person. Don't sell them to somebody else because you don't know. And, and if you go, well, I got data on it. It's 1% in the world. That means nothing. You know, and that means absolutely nothing. I, I need you guys, both in the reds and the blacks, to take some time, learn about your cattle, verify and prove them. I know everybody needs to make a little profit, right? You bought this cow and she may have been expensive and you need to get some profit out of her. 
but do it the right way. Don't do it. Don't hurt somebody else because you didn't know any better. And, and that's really when the reality comes into it, you know, and every once in a while I get in an argument on Facebook and it seems like I have the same two people that come up every single time. And, and there is one thing that, you know, me and Lane had to talk today about this. Lane's having some struggles at the shop with, 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 with the people that are next door to us. And I told Lane today, cause he was getting all huffy and puffy that he has to be nice to them. There is no reason ever to not be nice. Now, it's also like I told him, being, being rude is being vindictive and we are not vindictive. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't get even. But it is not in my business model that's been very successful to be rude or to not help someone because they're asshats. It's just not. Now, they will pay the consequence at some point and it's usually very, very strict and very rough. But, you know, that, that's one thing that I try to pride myself on is even when people are being rude and, and inconsiderate on Facebook is that I just provide them the point that I need and want them to answer and then let them show their true colors on the back end. And that right there is, is something that it's, it's a personal thing that you need to have to be in this business a long time. Because the cattle industry folks are weird. They, they're like elephants. They'll remember the three bad things you did over a hundred year career. And, and they'll make sure that the other people know them too. So if you're always nice and considerate and able to help someone else out, it really helps to have as many people on your side as there is against you. And, and if I had to give someone a really good piece of advice starting into this, that's what I would tell them. Be patient. Take your time. Make good friends, make good colleagues, make good good contacts, find, you know, make it make one of those people into your mentor. But do it right. And don't and don't drag someone else down a hole that you don't know you want to be down either. Like it's just not fun. It's not fun for them. It's not fun for you. You know, that those are the things that we really, you know, as a person, you should really try to make sure that doesn't happen. So Lane's got some some busy crews starting to get ready in, in about two months, month and a half. Well, it's a month and a half now. Yep. Less than six weeks. Yeah. Wow. Getting all supplies, getting dry ice lined up, getting FedEx lined up for weekly pickups. I mean, it's... It's getting ready to get real serious. Yeah. What's the timeline... Right now, Lane, uh, when's your first group of elk coming in? 15th August. See, and they told us that last year, and then they came in way earlier. Right? Yeah. So. But they're, but like last year, like the first ones came in, and then the next couple of weeks to the end of August wasn't real, wasn't overdone, but this year... From the, the third and fourth week of August, they're completely full. Their hunts are completely full. So, see, and that's that's interesting, right? It'll be it'll it'll be a busy year, um, and I think that we're going to enjoy that to a point. Everybody's always happy once it's done, right? Like that's always everybody's. I can't wait till it's done moment, and and that's okay too, right? Because sometimes it's better to. Make your money while the while the sun shines, and and we understand that, and that's why a lot of these, you know, I think a lot of people get into a little bit of trouble is they forget that they need to make their hay while the sun is shining. So, well, with that, we're gonna leave you with another with a little bit shorter episode than usual, but uh, you guys hang out, you enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll talk to you next week here at What's New in Wagyu.
the songs that got me dreaming I'd scream, turn it up, and then I'd lose it I was raised on radio waves Where the ladies dominated Sometimes I close my eyes and just replay it I just wanna feel like ladies in the 90s Turn the dial and find me some strawberry wine So I can sing all night long Acting like I'm Britney Come on baby, hit me So one more time Hey, yeah, hey. And I feel like a woman I can be a breathe when you say my name Hey, I don't want no scrubs Need a cowboy to take me away I wanna feel like ladies in the 90s Ladies in the 90s Hey, Diva in the living room Mama's heels on after school Learning all my moves on MTV They weren't a 